Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Digital Killed the Radio Star podcast. As always, this is David. I'm here along with my friend Chris. Chris, how are you doing? Good as always. How are you, my man? Uh, I am well. I am well. Well, um, new podcast um, for this week is going to be a fun one. We're going to talk about replacement singers. But as we've kind of done the last few podcasts, we're going to start it off talking about either some new music or new albums that we've that we've listened to in this past week. And you've certainly blown my phone up um, over uh, one that you have <laughs> discovered that is probably unlike anything anybody listening to this has ever heard. So I'm just going to throw it to you and, and let you run with that. Okay, sure. But I do want to say there is a story behind this, how I discovered this. So my cousin and I have kind of, we started this, we started this yearly tradition where we um, we go to New York City. He lives in Dallas. I live in you know Memphis, Tennessee. And two of us are like brothers. And we don't get to see each other very much. A lot of times this is the only time in the year we see each other. And so we're going to New York in uh, in May, and we already have tickets to see Ryan Adams at a legendary legendary Beacon Theater. So we're looking forward to that. But you know, when we go, a lot of times we try to go to multiple shows, you know, at least two shows, and there's just not a lot going on. So for the past few weeks, I've been looking at you know different venues, been looking at Polestar, and trying to see if anybody new is announced. Sometimes if I see a name that kind of catches me, but I don't know who they are, I think, what's oh, it hurt to just go ahead and get a quick little sample on iTunes? That's what I did for a band called Astronoid. And so I click on this band, Astronoid. I see they're playing in a little rock club in Brooklyn, which my cousin and I have already said we wanted to hang out in Brooklyn one night. And this band just blew me away. Just, you know, it feels like, I think you can agree with me, it feels like in today's just where we are with music doesn't feel like there's a whole lot new that can be done. And I know there it can be, but it sometimes feels like nothing new can be done. Well, these guys give you hope. It's, I saw on their YouTube channel, they labeled themselves as dream thrash. And I can't think of a better description. It's a uh, double bass, speed metal drumming, just insane riffing, uh, dual guitars. And you think, Okay, so this is a metal band. Doesn't sound like a metal name. Sounds kind of like an indie rock band. Then all of a sudden the vocals kick in, and it's this dreamy, just kind of soft indie sounding vocals with harmonies and everything to this metal music. And it shouldn't work, but it just works so well. And you know, I know you and I were talking about it. You can obviously get the metal influences. You get the Coheed and Cambria. The as far as the just kind of the prog rock you get that death tones with the softer vocals and then you get some of the shoegaze of my bloody valentine but this band they released the first album it's um it was released in 2016 it's called air and i haven't nothing sent me like this in a while as far as just originality i'm really looking forward to seeing their show in brooklyn um these guys if you want something new you want something different check it out the album's called air a couple of songs up and at and raisin a reason um anyway i I shared this with you uh i know it kind of was kind of shocking to you like it was to me tell me what tell me what you thought of it well when i first heard it i was i almost thought it was a when when you when i first started listening to it i almost thought it was some type of a joke because it's two 
it's two styles that you just don't you don't think can mix. I mean, it, it's it's thrash metal with. Um, are, are you familiar with the band Beach House? Yeah, I am. You know, kind of you know those kind of vocals, and you know, as we've talked, it's referred to as shoegaze. But uh, the Up and Adam, I've listened to it four or five times, and I've listened to some other songs and watched a couple of um, clips on YouTube, and they're it's completely original. Um, I'll give them that. That's this. I've never seen anything like it. It hasn't hit me as hard as it it's, it's hit at its hit at its ugh, as it has hit you, but it's definitely good. I've had it playing in the background. It's just one of those things I'm just going to have to listen to more. Uh, you know, hopefully I'll get into it as much as you. But the ori- you're right. The originality is off the charts, and the musicianship is really really good. And when I just when I when I sent my cousin this and I told him like, hey, so I. I I did discover this band that played in Brooklyn, and I told him, I said, I'm not saying we have to go to this, but you need to check it out. He replied within just a few minutes, and he said, dude, let's go. He said, this is, he said, I love this. And um, I don't know much about these guys. I did see they're from Boston. Um, Sounds like they're really pretty new. And who knows? Who knows what's in store for them? You know, if, if a band like Coheed and Cambria can be huge, which they deserve it, they're a great band. Maybe maybe these guys are going to catch on, but if you want something new, you want something original, do yourself a favor, check out Astronoid. The the only problem I think they may run into is how do you market them? You know. Yeah, good point. I mean, if and even if you think of serious radio, I mean, you can't. I don't know. How you can really put them on liquid metal. Maybe you can, and then I don't know if you can really put them on, you know, Alt Nation or. XMU. Again, maybe you can. Yeah, it, but it's uh, yeah, it's 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 it is kind of hard to, to put them on in group men something. That, and you got to think they they probably get one of the there's for this show. I look, there's two different openers. One of the openers is probably it fits pretty well with the band, but the the second opener, the one that come on just before them, is they're pretty metal, and it makes you think. You know, they probably get paired with a lot of bands that. You know, it makes me think of, um, God, what was that? Something Chaos toured back in the day when it was uh, Anthrax and Slayer and Alice in Chains was opening. Mm-hmm. And everybody just hated Alice in Chains and were throwing stuff at them. I hope it doesn't happen to these guys, but they're going to probably, they're probably getting booked with a lot of pretty metal bands. Yeah, they would be good to like send out with, with somebody very, very established. Um, you know, like, um, you know, Megadeth takes a lot of young bands like that out. And I think a Megadeth crowd would be a little bit more accepting. And, um, you know, I mentioned I mentioned Coheed and Cambria, Deftones. I think those type bands would be really good for them. Um, because I don't think it's going to shock their fan base too much. You know, you, you, put them, you put them on a bill opening for, you know, White's Chapel, Suicide Silence. I don't know how that's going to go. But anyway, that's one of the things that's just really, really just got me going that I've been listening to like crazy. And again, I cannot say enough positive things. Your originality, my biggest music friend buddies, I've texted every one of them and said, check this band out. So that, that should tell you something. I mean, I'm really trying to get the word out on these guys. So I'm going to stop talking about this one. I know you have some new music to talk about. 
Yeah, well, we've we've started making this a, a routine segment the last couple. And of I love this, episodes. by the way. I love right, it. and so far we're two for two with artists we're, that we've mentioned responding to us on Twitter. Lindy Ortega uh, responded to a tweet about her, so uh, we'll definitely mention uh, Astronoid this week. I've been listening to the new album from Mastodon, and I must admit, I've heard about Mastodon ever since they came out. Um, never really listened to them because they basically the the vocals the way the guy sings on the earlier albums you know i call it cookie monster vocals or harsh vocals as i think is the technical name for it but you and i've spoken about this off the air it is very weird there is an eclectic mix of people that listen to mastodon that you wouldn't think would listen to mastodon one of those being jason isabel he tweets about them every now and then um, and he's obviously a big fan of the band. And if you know, if you listen to Jason Isbell, I doubt there's a lot of crossover between his fans and Mastodon fans. But the album got a lot of publicity before it came out. Apparently, most of their albums are concept albums. This one's called Emperor of Sand. And it's a concept album about a man that's been given a death curse uh, and sent out into the, the desert by himself. And what it's really supposed to represent, apparently since their last album... I think it's three members have either had somebody die from cancer or uh, in their family or is being treated for cancer. And so the album is really about cancer and going through the stages of, uh, you know, of fighting that and battling that and ultimately losing the battle to it. But it's when I listened to it the first time, it didn't really grab me. And I was like, well, I've bought the CD. I need to listen to it some more. And the second and third time, uh, I, I started liking it. And the more I listened to it, the more I like it. And does that mean I'm going to go buy out, go out and buy all of their albums that have, you know, the cookie monster vocals? No, but, um, I definitely think it's better sounding to me than the, like the new Metallica record. And so, uh, I know Chris, you, you, you're not a huge Mastodon fan, but you had told me earlier that you, that you actually gave this one a spin. Yeah. And I do like them. I, I don't want it to sound like I, I dislike them. I do like them. I, and I own a few of their records you know, I, and I listened to this one, and I and I told you, you know, this coming from somebody who is, who likes the band and appreciates the band, not in love with them, but I really do appreciate the band. I think they've got some cool stuff. Which, by the way, I agree completely with you. It's, it's crazy that I have friends that are not into metal at all, and they love Mastodon. I, I don't understand it, because to me, yeah, they're a little bit more experimental, but they're still metal. But anyway, when I listen to when I listen to the new one. You know, what did I tell you when we were talking about it? I said, I'd like to know what the true diehard Mastodon fans think of this because this is this is different. You know, this is they they uh, they lost. A, it, don't get me wrong. You're not going to be putting on a Morrissey record, but they lost a little bit of the aggression, in my opinion. And um, I don't know. I don't know if the fans are going to view it as their sellouts. Um, but that being said, I liked it. I thought it was good. But it was just, it, it was definitely a step in a different direction. Well, they were recently on um, Eddie Trunk's Sirius XM volume show, and they were saying, like, they don't consider themselves a metal band. They consider themselves a, a rock band. Actually, I thought this was interesting. Apparently, they're huge fans of Men at Work, and they are actually, is this guy's name Colin Hay that's the um, lead singer? I really work. don't know. Well, you know I'm talking about, you know, the yeah, land down under. Sure. They're going to do something with him in the future. 
Oh, um, wow. Which is which is interesting. But yeah, I like the album. Um, I definitely think if, if you're into heavier rock and metal, go out and buy it. I, I, it's not something that you're going to dislike. And Chris, you have one more that you want to talk to us that's very much not metal. Yeah, I do. And, you know, I mentioned this, uh, this asteroid. It just has blown me away. And, I mean, I... It, it really, it's, it's amazing. But that was 2016. As far as 2017, the next album I'm going to talk about, you know, I think David and I, we have plans that by the end of 2017, we'll still be doing this and we'll do a you know year interview, talk about our top albums. I'd be shocked if this is not at the very, very top. That's how much this album has just hit me. The album I'm talking about is Greg Graffin. He is... Um, He's the front man of Bad Religion. And the name of the album is Millport. And for, you know, most people know the name Bad Religion. Had a little bit of radio success back in the, in the 90s. But, I mean, everyone knows they are, a, they are just a straight-up punk band. This album was, it was his backing band is Social Distortion minus Mike Ness. And... It's not a punk record. It's not even close to a punk record. It's not even a rockabilly record. It's a country record with a punk vocalist. That's really what it is. I mean, you can you can you can tell. I mean, he doesn't have the country accent. It doesn't sound like country. It's um, it's just like a straight up country record. And I just think it's amazing. And you know, Dave and I were talking about this. I I told him about this album. He's listened to it and. We were saying it's yeah, the vocals are a little bit kind of a punk sound, but the music itself, the songs themselves, they're way more country than anything you hear on the radio. I mean, this is this is so much more of a country record in the in the tradition of country than, you know, that idiot Luke Bryan. Sorry if there's any, you know, fans of Luke Bryan listening to this. I mean, if you are listening, you're probably listening to the wrong show. <laughs> but anyway, um yeah, you probably found us by accident. But anyway, uh it's it's great I, I don't I can't say enough good things about this and, and for the record I'm I'm not a bad religion fan I'm not a hater of them, of their music I like a lot of their stuff but I don't consider myself a fan and it was it was a buddy of mine who turned me on to this album because bad religion is his favorite band and when I listened to it I was like wow this is amazing and kind of like Astronoid, I've been telling anybody who will humor me for a couple of minutes to check this one out. And so I'm telling anybody listening to this, check out Greg Graffin. Album is Millport. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't know what to expect. And I listened to it at work the other day, and then I listened to uh, listened to some of it while I was at the gym uh, a little while ago. And you're right. It's crazy that that, that, that will never be played on country radio. No. And it's it's – it's more George Jones than anything you're going to hear. I mean, what, the first song was it called? Like "Backroads in My Mind." The, yeah, "Backroads of My Mind." "Backroads of My Mind." I mean, that is just a great country song, and it, it's just kind of a shame, in my opinion, what has happened to country music. But that's uh, talk for another day. I but, agree, and, I, and I, what you said, I've, I actually was, I was, um, I was actually told my dad about this album the other day, and I told him, I said, "Yeah, the the, the vocals are punk rock." And I said, but, and I, I think I may have even, even 
I may have used George Jones. I know I used the classic country artist. I said, if you insert that voice onto this track, you've got a traditional country song. Yeah. But anyway, so that's that's our um, that's our little segment of new music. Check these albums out if you like them. Buy them. Support these guys. Um, spec- I mean, support Mastodon too, but especially guys like Greg Graffin and you know Astronoid guys that are not selling millions of albums. You know, keep their music alive. Yeah, and I feel, I feel like we're making a difference with these things. I got a text um, as I was driving back to my house. Uh, from a guy that listens to our show and he's like, man, I've gone back to your first episode and your first couple episodes and I cannot quit listening and finding Sunvolt and Uncle Tupelo on YouTube and watching their stuff. That's awesome. You know, and if, if we can get one person to buy an Uncle Tupelo record, you know, one person to buy a television record, then success. You know, we've done our job. Well, Chris, speaking of success, the topic of this week's show is replacement singers. And uh, as you're going to find out, there's varying degrees of success and, and changing your uh, your singer is is risky business. And I, I was I was discussing this topic with a friend of mine this week as I was preparing and and he was just like, you know, he, he I kind of fall in the category of him. He's like, you know, the for me, David Lee Roth not being in Van Halen isn't as big of a deal as Eddie Van Halen not being in Van Halen. What I mean by that is, it's for me, a lot of times, it's the music that grabs me first and not the vocals. But for the average person, it's just the opposite. And so when you have these massive, these, especially these bands that have blown up, and then they change lead singers, man, they're just rolling the dice. Now, as we'll talk... A lot of people that uh, people are probably going to think are the original lead singers of some of these bands are not. And obviously they got bigger with their second lead singer. They were so much in obscurity with the first one that, you know, people, Journey, for instance, Steve Perry wasn't the original lead singer. Most people associate Steve Perry with Journey because he was the singer when they blew up. So, uh, Chris, before we get started, your thoughts on uh, replacement singers, how it usually goes or doesn't go. First of all, I love this topic, um, and it's and I do want to put one thing out there too. You're going to find that most of this that we talked about is hard rock metal, but when we kind of talked about it, we we would have kept this open to any genre of music, but that's really where the replacements and the singers have come from is this genre. But um, you know, my thoughts on it is I don't know. It's mixed. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And you know, I. I kind of was telling myself that I all—I pretty much always like the original singers better. And in most cases, I do. But you're going to find, as we talk about this, there's a few bands that I like the replacement better. And, and one in particular, you know, to their diehard fans would probably say I'm not a fan because I don't think, you know. I was just thinking that. I, I, know, what you, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. So, you know, but it's a, it's a cool topic. It's an interesting topic. And, you know, we for the most part, we're about to talk about are bands that have had success. Now, they may not have had as much success as the original, but they still had success, you know, and you, you brought up Journey, we'll get to them later, but that's an example of a band that has, you know, a, they can they can bring out a crowd, but they haven't had really recording success after Steve Perry. 
and most of these bands have had recording success. And so that's what we wanted to talk about. And um, I'm going to let you start us off. I don't know what you're going to pick. Go okay. for it. Yeah. I'll do my best to keep up. And, and like you said, this is mainly going to be hard rock and metal, and that was not a an, that's not what we aim to do, but that's just where the information took us. So, uh, but I think I think people are going to enjoy it. Well, I, think, I guess we'll start off with the one that, in my opinion, is the most famous one and one that gets a lot of publicity is uh, Van Halen. Of course, everybody knows they started off back in 77, 78 when they released their first album. And uh, David Lee Roth's the lead singer. And they released five or six albums. And they, they, you know, they, that first album came out and just really changed, changed music, changed guitar playing um, forever. And they had, uh, they were steadily building success, building success. And then um, Diver Down was the next to last album they recorded with Roth. And to me, that was the first album that they really took a step backwards on. And they record 1984. And that album blew up, of course, with Jump, Hot for Teacher, and Panama. Those were all over MTV. It was the perfect time for them. You know, David Lee Ross, one of the most charismatic lead singers of all time. And, you know, he really embraced MTV and the, you know, the MTV image. But from what I can tell, he was frustrated that Eddie Van Halen had started doing uh, some projects outside of uh, Van Halen without talking to him. And I think probably the main one would be, you know, he played uh, uh, the guitar solo while Michael Jackson's beat it. Not a lot of people know that. And Roth apparently had a movie deal and the, um, movie he wanted Van Halen to do the soundtrack on and of course that didn't go over well and I think he kind of disliked the direction they were going with you know the keyboards and more pop um, the more pop sounding music so Roth leaves the band goes on his first um, solo albums very successful so he and he actually got his album out before they got 5150 out so they go on and they hire um, Sammy Hagar, who's most famous for being the lead singer of Montrose, and it had a you know an average solo career I think up to that point. He certainly wasn't hurting for money; he was doing well. Hagar can play the guitar, which is a plus. He's I think he's the better vocalist, and so um, better songwriter too. Better songwriter. So I did some research to see you know how they their sales stacked up. So Roth obviously put out more albums than uh, Hagar did. With Roth, they sold 57 million. That's an 8.14 million uh, album uh, sales per album average for him. His most successful was 1984 and the self-titled album. Each one of those sold 17 million. The highest chart topper was 1984 at number two. All right, this is where things get interesting. Sammy Hagar sold 27 million albums with four albums, which is a 6.75 million uh, sales per album. But all four um, Sammy Hagar albums hit number one on the charts. And so my overall impression of it is the music on the Roth era albums is much better. Ed's playing is more aggressive on the earlier albums, but Roth's vocals are average at best. The vocals on the Hagar albums, in my opinion, are much better the music, you know, tended to be more pop-oriented than on the Roth albums. The problem I have with Sammy's albums, the songs that are good are really good, but the songs that are not 
aren't very good at all. And on the Roth albums, even the ones that aren't the best on the album still aren't ones you want to skip. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and so, you know, Hagar actually left the band in, um, I think it was 96. And if you remember the out, the movie Twister, they had a song on it called Humans Being, which is one of my favorite Hagar uh, era songs. Well, apparently... Ed thought that the lyrics were too cheesy and got mad at Sammy for writing cheesy lyrics and Ed went in and changed the lyrics up. And also, Ed wanted to put a second song on the um, soundtrack and Hagar thought that was ripping the fans off because there's making them buy a soundtrack you know, that just had one or two Van Halen songs on it and the other songs may not be good. And so he um, finally came to a head and, and he left the band and you know they record the double the uh, two songs for the greatest hits album with Roth, and then in '04 Hagar comes back in the band, have one of the most disastrous tours from a uh, for that that Hagar said that they'd ever had. I mean financially it was fine, but they just did not get along. And now David Lee Roth is back in the band, and you know they did two two or three tours, but. It's sad to watch them play. Not Alex and Wolf and, and Eddie. They, they they play great, but David Lee Roth, in my opinion, has just turned into a, a caricature of himself. So, Chris, that's a little bit of a history on that. What what are your thoughts on that? Okay, I've got a few. I hope I can get them all out. I'm listening as, as you're saying all this stuff. Some of this I'm learning myself as you're, as you're reading it. Um, you know, first I had always heard that David Lee Roth had had. Um, he was not happy with the direction they were going with all the, the synthesizers. You know, I know he hated, he hated jump, you know, with all that synthesizer in it. But of course that's what made him huge. Um, I know Sammy Hagar had as much, if not more success, like we said, big selling albums. But I do think that, you know, Sammy Hagar, in one way he was set up from the success, but in another he was able to sustain it and that I mean that's that's tough to do as we know vocally Hagar's better there's no doubt he is a better vocalist he's more talented to me Van Halen is David Lee Roth end of story not debatable um that's me everybody is entitled to their opinion and I've said that I've said this so many times on this podcast before. Music is subjective. I love that about music. And if you tell me that, you know, you you love, you know, uh, Blake Shelton, I'm going to think you're tone deaf. Hmm. But I'm going to respect the fact that you know, you have your own taste. And for me, it's just again, Dave Lee or off was he was Van Halen the records were more they were more rock they were more aggressive I felt like Eddie's playing was better on them um yeah it almost like even 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 to an extent I would say that and we've never talked about this before and you may disagree with me on this but even to an extent Michael Anthony's background vocals were more prominent yeah which is what he's really I mean Van, that's part of the Van Halen sound well and with and, Roth as the lead singer they have to be well that. Yeah, that's fair. 
That's fair. And but I don't think that Roth, if you listen to those records, I mean you put on Van Halen one or put on Van Halen two. Um, you know, Women, Children First. Put on those albums. I don't think you can say Roth sounds bad. You know, he's, I know he's not a technical singer, but it, it doesn't sound bad. It, it works. You know, I just and again, I'm not taking anything from from um, I'm not taking anything from Sammy Agar. You, like you said, great songs. I, I mean, I would say that you know somewhere near the top of my Van Halen songs is is uh, that song Dreams. Mm-hmm. Love that song. Um, you know, the album title certainly got more creative with uh, <laughs> with Sammy Agar. Right. But but anyway, um, look, they they were one of the few bands that pulled it off. At the end of the day, no matter what your opinion is, who you like better, they were both good. They both they both made great albums, and the fans still remain fans and that's what's important and i don't mean to jump ship but they tried it one more time i think they got a little bit cocky they brought in gary sharon and it fell flat nothing against gary sharon he's a good singer it didn't work i actually liked the song without you you know the, i do the, too the single I do but, too. but man the rest of the album's a train wreck i've never even heard it but i do like i know that song and I, I remember i liked it a lot i remember i thought that chorus was really good you're, you're better off for not listening to it you can't get that time yeah. you can't get that time back well you know they, they're interesting in that they're a band that has flip-flopped the same two guys um twice now and i i guess uh, i guess i'm in the minority i actually like both versions i've seen both versions twice so uh there you go but another band that has flip-flopped um singers a time or two is anthrax and i know chris you uh you're, you're a bigger anthrax fan um, than me, I'm just a, kind of a casual listener to them. Why don't you tell everybody kind of how their family tree of singers has evolved over the years? Sure. Well, kind of like we were saying, you, you started out by talking about, you know, the average fan, the average person would not know that there was a vocalist before Steve Perry in Journey. Same as with Anthrax. Joey Belladonna was not the original singer. There was a guy named Neil Turbin. He was with the band from 82 to 84. And uh, Neil Turbin, to me, and this is just kind of my my take on it, I know that um, that Anthrax, they were, one of their influences was, was a Judas Priest. And if you listen to Neil Turbin, he definitely kind of had that uh, Rob Halford type sound. I mean, poor man's Rob Halford. He didn't quite have that range, but he was in that vein and um they recorded one album with neil turbin it was called fistful of metal and it's not bad you know it's it's different than what they became but um not a bad album and um you know i and i've i've read that they uh, they basically separated because of uh, personal issues and then of course i've read that you know I, of course i haven't bought the book but i read that in eddie trunk's book that he said that you know he would he pressured um john zula who was the founder of megaforce records that he pressured and fired turban but of course eddie trunk thinks he invented heavy metal and um he thinks you know every single person in heavy metal is his best friend so yeah who knows on that one but anyway neil turban was let go and and uh so it's probably more personal issues but in comes joey Bel- joey belladonna 
and he was with the band from 84 to 92 and he they released a, an ep armed and dangerous and then spreading the disease which came out in 85 which i think is one of the better albums with joey belladonna and had a uh, you know had a, a, a good successful run you know that's when they kind of became part of that big four of metallica slayer megadeth and of course anthrax and um but then in they, around 92 they started having a lot of creative and stylistic differences you know much like say van halen now when they say stylistic differences i don't know what that was i don't know if it's um if you listen to uh i believe it's uh, persistence in time the last album they did with belladonna before he left it started going a little bit more to me in that just pure metal just a little bit more serious a little bit darker and that's i mean i feel that in that album it was going that way and if you listen to their earlier albums it's yeah it's metal it's thrash but it's kind of it's kind of goofy it's kind of cheesy and i felt like they were getting a little bit more serious as a band so maybe belladonna wanted to stick to what they were doing and the band was clearly evolving so because of differences they split and then in comes john bush and john bush was from a band called armor saint armored saint he was with the band from 92 to 2005 and uh first album they released was sound of white noise came out in 93 um had a song on it called only james hetfield of metallica said it was the perfect song and uh i agree i mean it was just a killer killer record and so um john bush stays with him for a while you know like i said 92 to 2005 and then it was announced in 2005 that the classic lineup was going to get back together and that means joey belladonna was coming back in and they played some shows together and and I think the thought was they were going to record another album but Belladonna never committed to a full on reunion and so he walked away and so they went back and tried to get John Bush to rejoin the band John Bush declined and uh, obviously I'm sure it's probably a little bit of hurt feelings hurt ego everything which rightfully so so they got an unknown guy Dan Nelson he came in and um, they they uh, we were with them, I guess, about a year or two. They were they started working on their album and recording a lot of it. And then Dan Nelson was he was fired. They the band said that he was you know he departed because of an illness. Dan Nelson says that's a lie that he was fired. So then they brought back Bush again, and um, I think he played a few shows for him. But then and he re- he re-recorded some of the songs off the album they had been working on. But then decided he didn't want to just fully commit, and he wasn't in it, and he just left. So they go back to Belladonna again, and Belladonna, I guess, re-records all the vocals, and the album finally comes out and sees the light of day, which is called Worship Music, which to me is one of their best records. And I feel like that aggressiveness, the more of the, just the darker, just pure metal that they had with the John Bush years, I feel like when Belladonna came back, they kind of kept that going. And... um last couple albums they've put out you know been the two since Belladonna's come back in the band I feel like are two of the best in their career which we can't say that about very many bands that have been around that long I mean that to me they're probably my favorite two albums of the Belladonna era I know that you know when we talk about I, we had initially said with vocalist I typically like the, the original singer better this is one of the minority I'm in the minority on this one I I typically I, I like John Bush a little bit better He's more of a, just a straight up, just, he's got a deeper, you know, a deeper voice, a um, little bit more aggressive. 
and I just love the sound. And of course, he also recorded on the album "We Come for You All," which is my absolute favorite Anthrax album. Um, again, diehard Anthrax fans, which I'm not. I, I really like the band. I'm not a diehard. But diehard Anthrax fans would say I'm not a true fan. I'm an idiot because I picked Bush over Belladonna. But it's just my opinion. But regardless, I think that I mean they had success with both vocalists. Both are really, really good. And they're just one of those bands that were able to pull it off. A couple of different singers, actually three, but those are the two that are remembered. Yeah, so and I rambled a lot. Tell me your thoughts. No, um, that was all very good and informative. I, the, just based on my limited Anthrax knowledge, the uh, John Bush stuff um, I tend to like more than the Belladonna stuff. Like you, for the reasons that you said, I feel like it's more. They they got kind of they got kind of silly for a while, didn't they? Or, they did, yeah, yeah, they did. You know, they started doing some of that rap stuff they're putting together, and some they, of the covers they did, like you know, got the time and all. It just felt it felt just a little contrived, a little cheesy. And and um, Bush came in, and I mean, he just put he put the metal back in that band. And it, to me, it just got more serious, darker, and I don't know. It kind of put them more in the in the start. Look, it wasn't like the it wasn't the same aggression as like a band with Pantera, but I think it put them closer to to like a Pantera type band than Belladonna did. So know? is and it Belladonna again? Is a great, great vocalist, great, great range. But anyway, it, so is it safe to say that that most fans prefer Belladonna over Bush? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you know, I think a lot of it comes up with who you came up with, right? And when I was a kid, you know, I mean, again, I was just, I was just naming there. When when Belladonna came in, it was the first album, he fully found they did was in '85. Well, you and I, you know, we we love this music, but in '85, I mean, we weren't listening to stuff that heavy, right? You know, we were little kids, and so we didn't really come up on on that, you know. And I remember when when the when the John Bush album came out, the Sound of White Noise, I was make freshman or sophomore in high school and you know that that's probably part of it why go to your go to him but to me he just has a cooler sound i think you know belladonna has probably more range but i think bush just sounds cooler well do you do you have by chance happen to know did, did the bush album sell how, how did well they sell? you know I, that, that's a good question i um I'm not sure about how well they sold. I think they did okay. The only thing I have, you know, I did take the, the only thing I have in here, let's see. Um, I, I did, I did write down that worship music, which was the one when Belladonna came back into the band, that that debuted at number 12 on billboard, which they said it was the highest position since sound of white noise. So that tells you sound of white noise must've done pretty well. Yeah. And you're, you know, you're, I, you're correct. Talking about those last two albums, uh, when they've come out, I've seen them on several people that I respect. Um, year end list. So. Yeah, and, and you know the thing we we talked about this a lot. We talk about the big four. Again, people that are not not as familiar, the big four is Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax. Well, you and I have talked about this a lot. I think Slayer still makes good records. I think Metallica overall makes terrible records i think that megadeth has done okay but put out one of the best of their career as their last one but anthrax is putting out consistently the best music of their career 
Um, which it's just, I mean, my God, I mean, a band that forms in 81 and they're putting out some, and, and like you said, the true diehard fans are saying they're putting out some of the best music of their career. Yeah. That's, that's Nobody's it. saying that about Metallica. Metallica selling out stadiums, but there's not one person that's going to Metallica show because they love the new album. Yeah. I mean, they, they've pretty much, they're, they're all almost become a nostalgia band. They are. They, they, they're going for a greatest hit show. Is what you're going for. Anthrax. If you if you're one of the diehard fans with Anthrax, you're going and you know that you know that the new songs are not a they're not a bathroom break. Metallica's news. That's the difference. Metallica's new songs overall, you know, not just the new songs. The last decade plus, it's bathroom breaks. <laughs> for the most part, I have to agree. Well, the first two bands that we've talked about when they changed lead singers, they had success. The next band. Not so much, and it breaks my heart to say that. But we're going to talk about Motley Crue. Um, obviously, everybody knows Vince Neil is the original lead singer of Motley Crue, and they put out you know some of the defining albums of the '80s as far as you know MTV and you know arena rock or hair metal, whatever you want to call it. You know, and, and they got they sobered up after Girls, 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 and put out Doctor Feelgood, which I think is a great album. And they blew up, one of the biggest bands in the world. And actually, they put out a Greatest Hits album called uh, Decade of Decadence that had three or four originals on it that were, to me, some of the best songs. Uh, Primal Scream is one of my favorite uh, Motley Crue songs. Well, I love, the song. I love that song, um, Decade of Decadence, the song Angela was yeah, good. Angela and Teaser was another one I thought, thought that was good. So, the, you know, they, they blew up. They were huge, and they had signed... Um, a, you know, big-time record contract with Elektra, which I'm going to get into in a minute. That's one of the problems they ran into. But this is where it get in, gets interesting. It depends on who you talk to as to why Vince Neil's not there. So we'll just go um, with both versions. The crew, mainly Nikki Six, will tell you that Vince's heart wasn't in it anymore. He wanted to race cars. And Vince Neil is, a, is noted, you know, Everybody that follows them knows he's real big into race cars. And so he wanted to, um, you know, get more involved in that. Obviously, that would take time away from the band. And they say that Vince Neil quit. Vince Neil says, I was fired because after the um, Dr. Feelgood, when they went back into the um, um, the studio, he wanted, the, the band wanted to go in a bluesier direction and he was like i don't sing um you know that's not my style this is a rock band we should be going in this direction so um he says he was fired because of that but if you read if you read you and i've both read the dirt he and tommy lee have just had this kind of strange relationship where they just push each other's buttons and when they got back together um I guess it was in 2005, there was a documentary, you can find it on YouTube, about the process of getting them back together. And they have a camera in there the first time they're in the room together, you know, in five or six years. And they just don't like each other. I mean, they'll say, oh. It was awkward. I know what you're talking about. That was very awkward. Right. You know, they'll say, oh, we're brothers. You know, we have each other's back. But, I mean, those guys, those two, they just don't see eye to eye. So, they, you know, it was very well publicized that Neil's out. And they're going to audition new singers. And there's rumors that Sebastian Bach, you know, um, played for them. And that didn't go well. But 
apparently I was listening to an interview with John Karabi the other day. He his band had put out an album. Uh, his band was called The Scream. A little sidebar: if you haven't heard that, it's hard to find, but try to get it. It's very good. It's, I, I just wanted to just jump in real quick. That if I'm if I'm to pick like the the most underrated like you know t- hair metal type albums of all time that's in there but it's not just the most under one of the most underrated it's one of the best period <coughs> Excuse me. it's a scream it's called let it scream i understand why they hired the guy the album is phenomenal go ahead it's very good and apparently nikki six was a big fan of it and i guess had mentioned in a radio or television review uh, this band the scream i really like this album so karabi sent a note through his manager saying, Hey man, I appreciate you, you know, mentioning us that, that, that's cool. Um, would you ever like to, you know, maybe help me with an album, help me write for our album. So six calls him and he comes over and it's basically an audition and he starts singing and they like the sound of his voice. And then Karabi picks up a guitar and starts playing. And Tommy Lee says, they're just like, everything stops. And they're like, you play the guitar. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and shortly thereafter, you know, he was hired. And they put out this album. They put out, it's a self-titled album. And Chris, you can attest to this. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, write up in the magazines in the year or so while they were recording this. You know, how's it going to sound? Because at this point, grunge had completely killed their genre of music. And they had signed this new record deal with Elektra for $25 million. And this was going to be the first album that they released. So they released the album, (coughs) excuse me. And I remember driving with my friend, Michael, right after it came out and we bought it and we put it in in the CD player in his car and power to the music or is it power to the people? I can't, I get it confused starts off and we both stop and look at each other and like, Oh my, what is this? This sounds awesome. In my opinion, and I know I'm in the minority. It's the best album they've ever put out. My, the thing that always prevented me from going over the cliff of being a diehard Motley Crue fan was Vince Neil's voice. And because Karabi has a, you know, a better voice, it just sounds grittier and, and, and dirtier than Niels does, and he can play the guitar. This really allowed them, I think, to open things up. And this album is heavy. It's, a, in my opinion, it's it's a heavy metal album. It's Tommy Lee's best playing by far. It's Mick Mars's best playing, and the first five or six songs to me are just almost flawless. I, there's some, there's a couple there at the end. I'm not the biggest fan of, but they, everything was working against them. You had grunge just you know had had killed everything you know you had one of the most popular bands of the last 10 years whose you know lead singer's voice was very identifiable is gone and they put this album out which is a complete departure from anything that they had done and they go to do an interview on mtv and you people you can go watch it on youtube it's not hard to find and it's a very uncomfortable interview the the guy that's leading the interview starts asking about, you know, hey, you guys have changed a lot or something like that from hair, motorcycles, and, and, and fire or something like that. 
and they get mad and like, what are you talking about? Why are you asking us these kind of questions? And then finally, Nikki Six is like, this interview's over with. And I think he threatened to like knock the the host's teeth down his throat. They walk out on the interview. Well, this is back when MTV still had some pull. And what's funny is if you watch the interview, <laughs> they show clips from Motley Crue videos that featured fire, hairspray, and girls. Uh, kind of as a parting shot to them. And the other thing that happened, they had a song on there called Misunderstood, which is a song I absolutely love. And the song is basically about people, different people in the world that think life has passed them by. And one of them is contemplating suicide, and it shows him with a pistol, and I think he's putting in his mouth. Well, a lot of people think that MTV used that as an excuse not to play the, the any of the, the songs um, on, on their channel because they were upset at how that interview went. And so they have that going against them. They have that it needs to sell well because they've signed this huge contract with Elektra. MTV's not playing them. And, you know, the, the market for that type of music had greatly dissipated. And so they go out on tour. The tour doesn't sell well. The diehard fans don't like it. The album actually did achieve gold status. But, you know, in, in that time, gold status was not something to really brag about. You know, you wanted platinum. And, you know, it was, it was very easy for, for bands in the late 80s, early 90s to sell a million albums. So basically the management came to them, I think, in like 96 and was like, look, it's going to be best for your career and Vince's career if y'all get back together. And Karabi actually said he told them it's the right thing for y'all to do. So I, I've kind of rambled on that one. Uh, Chris, I, I know you have some feelings on this album and this uh, and Karabi. I know you're a big Karabi fan, but w- what are your overall thoughts? Yeah. You know, when that when, when I first found out that uh, – I remember it was my guitar teacher told me that John Karabi had been hired by Motley Crue. I already knew – I mean, I already knew Vince was out, you know, so I knew they were looking for a singer. I found out that John Crabbe got the gig, and I was bummed. Not because, oh, why would they take that guy? No, I was bummed because The Scream wouldn't make a second album. That's how much I loved that album by The Scream when I was a kid. And so I really was. I was bummed by it. But when the album came out, like you, I loved it. I still love it to this day. It's heavy. It's, um, you know, Crabbe, he brought something to the band that Vince never did. He brought, he was able to, to contribute as a songwriter. He was able to contribute as a lyricist. Two things that Vince never contributed as. He was just a better musician. Um, much, much, much more talented vocalist. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not about to say that, oh, it's, it's my favorite, whatever. I mean, Shout at the Devil is my favorite crew record. And then probably, you know, after that, I... I probably gotta go too fast for love but i will say the self-titled karabi comes soon after those so it's high on my list um i thought it was really 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 good um i was fortunate enough to i know i tried to get you to come up to memphis to see it but about a year or two ago john karabi came into town in the memphis and he played this tiny tiny little rock club in memphis and he played that crew album beginning to end and it was just awesome so i think that that's though history may not look at that as a successful replacement singer to me it was it was successful because he was 
it was a great record and most most people most fans do enjoy that album um it just it was bad timing you know they went from being they were one of the biggest bands in the world and you replace your singer you just that's tough to do you know i was talking about anthrax replacing their singer they weren't the biggest band in the world they weren't one of the top three or four that's a tough, tough one to do. You know, Van Halen is one of the only ones to ever pull that off. Um, and Van Halen, though they changed their sound, they didn't change it that much. I mean, this was totally different. This wasn't kind of like what you're getting at. This wasn't strip clubs and, you know, cocaine and fast cars. This was just more just darker material, um, serious issues. Uncle Jack song on there which is a great great tune is John Crabby wrote a song about his uncle who was a pedophile and he basically in the song he says he wants to kill his uncle because of being a pedophile it's it's dark subject matter um it's good I mean if if, if you know if, you, if you're a Motley Crue fan and you're listening to this you probably heard it but if by any chance you haven't and you've avoided it over the years because it's not Vince do yourself a favor pick it up well, they, they, you know, they changed lead singers, um, and it wasn't that successful, but at least Karabi was from an established band. The next band we're going to talk about, they picked somebody that was singing in a tribute band to them, and that would be Judas Priest. Chris, why don't you lead us in that discussion? Okay, yeah. Um, so Judas Priest, you know, Rob Halford is... You know, he's referred to now as the metal god. And he's referred to that because he is, you know, may, I mean, he's up there as the most talented metal vocalist of all time. And the guy just is the epitome of heavy metal. And, you know, there's not a lot of drama behind this one. You know, we, we can't say the same stories with, that we just had about Vince and, David Lee Roth and you know we don't we don't really have those same stories it was just Halford it was it goes back to um, they were on the tour for uh, Painkiller which was you know if you if you listen to Maiden Records I mean I'm sorry Priest Records if you listen to Priest Records it was one of the I won't say comeback because they never really went away but it was a very it was a it was the strongest record they had done in in several years it, in my opinion, it was the strongest one they had done since uh, Screaming for Vengeance, which is one of their very classic albums, which came out in what, early to mid-80s. And then here comes Painkiller, that kind of, the Judas Priest kind of adapted, and they went with a little bit, you, know, you had all these thrash bands out, you had you had your Metallicas, your Slayers, your your, your Megadeth, your Anthrax, you know, Testament, Exodus, you had all these bands. And so they just kind of sped it up, they took it a little bit faster, a little bit heavier, and it was a really, really great Priest album. But uh, supposedly on the Painkiller tour, which was in 1991, there were just a lot of internal tensions in the band. And uh, Alfred de decided he wanted to leave, and he went and he formed a band called Fight. And he just kind of wanted to explore a new sound. And I think he got a little bit more of a thrashier sound and just experimented with new music. And I know after that, he did, decide, he did a project called Two, which was kind of incorporate an industrial so he just in, in these years outside of priest he was just kind of experimenting with different sounds 
Well, Judas Priest, in the meantime, they wanted to keep going. So they brought in uh, Tim Owens, often referred to as Ripper Owens. I shouldn't say often, always referred to as Ripper Owens. He was in a tribute band called British Steel, a tribute band to Judas Priest. And if you're not familiar with Judas Priest, British Steel is probably their most popular album. And so he was he was a tribute band singer. And if you remember the movie Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg, that supposedly was loosely based off of the story, or see, loosely based, inspired by, whatever you want to call it. But it was inspired by Judas Priest's story, the fact that they went out and their singer quit, and they hired a replacement singer. Their replacement singer was from a cover band, a tribute band. And Ripper has great, great pipes, great range. He sounds pretty similar to Rob Halford. It just didn't work. Um, and so they did that for a while. They did two albums with, with uh, Ripper Owens. And then after about 11 years apart, Priest decided to reunite with Halford. And this was in July 2003. And, you know, they the cool thing is the guys in Priest sound like these. They seem like pretty good dudes. And if you've ever seen anything with uh, Ripper Owens, he sounds seems like a really down-to-earth guy. Okay, sorry about that, guys. I think we just had a little bit of technical difficulties right there. But anyway, what I was saying is they, um, you know, Halford was out of the band for about 11 years. And they decided, you know, they they were going to go back to him. They weren't really having the success with, uh, with Ripper Owens. So they brought Halford back in July 2003. And supposedly, and this is what's really cool about it, is they say it was, it was a very, very just, the split was on really good terms with Ripper Owens. And I think he's still friends with all those guys on really good terms with the priest guys. And Ripper Owens went on to, he joined Ice Earth, which was kind of a, not a huge band, but really well-known metal band. And he's, he's done a lot of projects since. Um, he has a band with he, Richard Christie. Yeah. Charred Walls of the Damned. Yeah. Which by the way, if you're not, a fa- if you don't know who Richard Christie is, he's on the Howard Stern show and Charred Walls of the Damned. If it sounds like a ridiculous trying too hard metal name, it's a joke. He was making a phony phone call one time to some show and, and the guy was, was kind of a religious guy and, and said something about how they were going to be going to the Charred Walls of the Damned or whatever. And Richard thought it was the funniest thing and he named his band after it. But so there's my shout out to Richard Christie. Hey, anyway, <laughs> um, so this was a band that it didn't really quite work with Judas Priest. Um, I think, I mean, Tim, R- Tim Ripper Owens gave it an honest try. I think he, uh, he did as well as anybody could, I think replacing the metal God. And, um, now you've got, you've got Rob Halford back in. Like I said, there's not a whole lot of drama attached to this one. This one's pretty straight and simple. Um, so I guess we can just move on to the next one. Well, if you have anything to add to this, you know, yeah. I mean, if anybody was set up to fail, it was him in the sense that of all the people we're going to talk about, Halford's voice is probably the most recognizable as far as the band he was in. Well, you, yeah, you're right. And you know, another thing too is you think about, and I remember going to, I can still remember this when I was, I wasn't even in school yet and going to, at the time it was an elementary school. I wasn't even in elementary school yet, but I was going to a school where my sister was, who was in elementary. And I remember seeing these kids with these studded wristbands. And th- 
that was Priest that got that going. You know, and, and Rob Halford has actually laughed about it in interviews because his his wardrobe was coming from basically these, you know, if, if you don't know, and if you don't, you've been living under a rock, but Rob Halford is a gay man. And Rob Halford incorporated a lot of his stage look from, like, these gay clubs. And, he, and so all these fans started dressed like him, wearing these studded, you know, studded you know, bracelets and collars and all that. And I remember going into the school as a kid and seeing that kind of stuff. And it just seems so, wow, these kids are bad. And uh, so, yeah, it wasn't just the voice. It wasn't just the metal God. He was kind of, uh, he had, he was a trendsetter with image. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the uh, Mark Wahlberg movie with Jennifer Aniston. Cause that seemed like I'd remembered that was supposedly loosely based on that. That's what they say. Anyway, well, of all the bands that um, we've talked about so far, they had a choice whether they wanted to replace somebody or not. Our next band didn't have a choice. That would be ACDC. Um, obviously, everybody knows Bon Scott was the original lead singer, and he died, I think, late 79, early 1980. I think it was alcohol overdose or something like that. You know, they, they had had... I guess you could say moderate success here, but they were definitely their their career arc was definitely upward, and they were gaining a lot of steam, and they were getting ready to record. I guess what would become Back in Black, and they choose this uh, little known singer by the name of Brian Johnson, and you know everybody knows Back in Black is one of the ten or so greatest selling albums of all time. I think, and they just blew up when Brian Johnson took over and I like Brian Johnson better than I do the Bon Scott stuff. I know the diehard fans will want to shoot me for that, but they, they got really big and very big on MTV. And to this day, one of the really two or three bands that can sell out, you know, 16, 70,000 seat stadiums anywhere in the world. And Chris, I know you're, I know you're more of a Bon Scott guy than you are a Brian Johnson guy, but you know, they didn't have a choice. If they were going to go on, they had to go with somebody else, but they definitely picked the right person. Yeah, and, and um, you're right. Most of the times, I'm not going to... In most cases, I don't like it when you replace a singer who passed away. Like, um, you and I have talked about this before. I I don't listen to Alice in Chains. I, I, I've heard the stuff's pretty good. I don't listen to it. Um, Lane Staley, to me, was Alice in Chains. And so that means Allison Chains is, is gone. But ACDC, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, I, I don't know. They, they did something different. They were able to pull that off, and I don't look at them the same way. And, you know, Back in Black is one of the biggest selling albums of all time, like you said. But it's one of the biggest al- selling albums of all time because it's good. It's really, really good. That being said, I just like Bon Scott a little bit better. And they're similar vocalists. It's not like going from Roth to Hagar, where they didn't sound anything alike, or Vince Neil to John Crabby. They sounded nothing alike. Bon Scott and Brian Johnson have similarities. But the music to me was a little bit more just that blues-based, just rowdy bar, just, I don't know. I, I just like the Bon Scott material better. And if for no other reason, and it's kind of what I said to you about Anthrax, if, if for no other reason, 
I'm going to pick John Bush because of we, the album We've Come For You All. ACDC, I'm going to pick Bon Scott if for no other reason, an album called Powerage. And most people listening to this have probably never heard Powerage because there's not a hit on it. It was not a big, it was definitely not one of their biggest selling albums, but it's their best. And a lot of ACD fans, ACDC, ACDC fans will tell you that. Um, Axel, who recently filled in for Brian Johnson doing a few shows, I know he's put this one high up. He's covered songs off of this album. Um, it's just, it's incredible. Now, thing is, both singers work. They do. But Bon Scott, to me, it was just Powerage, Highway to Hell, Let There Be Rock. I just, I like those albums better. Yeah, Back in Black is great, but those other albums, they're just, I don't know. For me, I'm, a bon Scott, I'm in the Bon Scott camp. Well, you know, and, and to be let's be fair here, not everything that they put out with Brian Johnson was a, was a big hit. You know, Back in Black was huge, and then uh, Who Made Who was, was good. It was not all original material. It sold well, and then Razor's Edge sold very, very well. But Yeah, Razor's Edge and, and, uh, and Back in Black, those would be the two for sure. Yeah, and after that, you know, it, it starts getting hit or miss. And but they definitely were probably as far as like a, a bump in sales. They may be the best example of changing lead singers and, and you know selling a lot more. Yeah, to me, it's when you talk about replacing the singers, it's Van Halen, it's ACDC, and it's the other guys. Right. You know because those were guys that were able to take successful bands and continue and make them even more successful. Which is just, I mean, that's almost impossible. And they did it. Well, another band that, that started out with one singer and then changed singers and blew up is Iron Maiden. Uh, Paul, is it, do you say it Paul Deano? Yes, that's how I say it. Yeah, was there... I've heard, Dion, I've heard Deano, but I say Deano. You know, he was their, their first singer on, two out, on their first two albums, and, you know, they made the switch, and blew up um especially internationally and not as much here uh as they did internationally but you know chris it's one of your favorite bands so i'm gonna let you lead the discussion on on them yeah well the thing about deano is he had um he had a little bit when the, when he came out they only did two albums he did self the self-titled and he did Bowden killers and honestly with those two records it's probably back and forth as which one's my favorite. The, the production on Killers is much, much better, but sometimes I think the songs on the self-titled are better. So what do you favor more? I don't know. I, I, I like them both. Um, if you listen to those old records, though, it has a little bit more of a... It's metal, but... How can I say this? It, it, it's like... Maiden had a lot of epics, a lot of long songs. They, they had... It was kind of a different sound. They kind of it, they kind of developed that almost uh, galloping type sound. It's been referred to. It wasn't like that on the first two albums, and in some ways, it was more of a kind of a punk feel. Now, don't ever say that to Steve Harris, to, who is the bassist, like one of the songwriters, one of the. I mean, he he is Iron Maiden. He hates everything associated with punk rock, and so he does not want to be called punk. But those first two albums do have elements of punk, no matter what he says. Um, and I don't know why he's so against that, because it's not a bad thing. 
those albums are great. But they, um, and by the way, before I even forget, if you, if you ever want to get a little bit more history on Iron Maiden, there's a uh, DVD Blu-ray. You can, I don't even know if it's on Blu-ray now, but there's a DVD called Iron Maiden: The Early Years, and it has concert footage of both Deano on vocals and Dickinson on vocals, and it has the story of the band. And it has, it has Steve Harris, a bunch of the guys just sitting in a pub talking music. It's it's really 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 cool. Highly recommend that. But anyway, so um, Deano was. Uh, supposedly just becoming having he was starting to show more and more of a of an increasingly self-destructive behavior and they say his performance has started to suffer and, and a lot of it was because of drug abuse and so after the killers tour he was fired and in comes bruce dickinson Bruce Dickinson was hired he uh he's hired in 81 he was singing with a band i believe they were called Samson and the bands knew each other. I think they played shows together. And actually, if you if you see Dickinson, if, I've seen this in more than one interview, but I think it's on the early years as well. Uh, Bruce Dickinson says he, he had seen them before, and he, he was just watching them and, and seeing Deanna was like, huh, I could do a better job than that. And sure enough, he ended up getting the job. And that's when they really, really took off, you know, because the next album they recorded was one of the biggest metal albums of all time which is Iron Maiden Number of the Beast and album after album was just smashes and um, you know they were kind of unrelenting I mean each, each album was good and then come you know uh, what was it 19 yeah 1993 Dickinson decided to leave for a solo career I mean I think there had been some kind of differences in the band whatever but they just weren't getting along as well but he decided to go ahead and split the band, and um, they auditioned several, several singers. Had a bunch of listened to a bunch of uh, a bunch of tapes, trying to find the next one. And they finally were able to persuade Blaze Bailey to come in and audition. And they knew of Blaze Bailey because his band Wolfsbane had opened for them in uh, 1990 or 1990. And uh, they really liked the guy, so they brought him in. He auditioned. He got the job. They released two albums with Blaze Bailey. Myself, I just, I, I love both Dano and Dickinson. I do not like the Blaze Bailey material. I don't like his voice. Uh, just didn't do it for me. So anyway, he was eventually asked to leave. In uh, 99, he was asked to leave. And um, so they were going to start auditioning singers again. And somebody recommended to Steve Harris hey, why don't you bring back Dickinson? Why don't you ask Bruce Dickinson to rejoin? And here, and Steve Harris was very hesitant. He didn't want to do it. But then he said he thought about it and thought, well, I guess better, than de- better to get the devil you know. And uh, he said that he thought about it and thought how, you know, he had 11 years of a pretty good relationship with the guy. And after he thought about it, he thought, you know what? I guess I don't have a problem with it. So they brought him back and they ended up recording uh the reunion album Brave New World which all Maiden fans would tell you was a great great comeback with Bruce Dickinson um, this is one of those bands that you know it's no disrespect to Blaze Bailey he played an important role same way I look at Gary Sharon you know I, I think back to the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame David when I when I saw uh, 
Van Halen getting in, and Michael Anthony said, I think it was Michael Anthony said, Gary Sharon, you were a part of this too. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And that's the way I feel about Blaze Bailey. He's a part of it, and he deserves the recognition. But for me, it just didn't work. Yeah. But I like both Paul, both Paul Deano and Bruce Dickinson. I love both of those guys. That, as I love both of their times in Maiden. But Deano was just something more pure, more raw. It wasn't as much just the galloping anthems. And I don't know. I love the band. Well, with with Blaze Bailey, he's unfairly though he's pretty much a punchline. You know, yeah. when, when you hear people talk about him, but in doing some research for this, Deano, I did read, he said, had I recorded another album, I would not have survived another tour with him. And he's like, they, yeah, his, he, his drug abuse must have been pretty bad. It was cocaine. He was, I think he just said, I just couldn't stop. And mm-hmm. he said, I wouldn't have survived another, uh, another tour. And, you know, you, I, I was listening to some of the Blaze Bailey stuff today and to me, it kind of seems like they kind of lost their signature sound. Not vocal. Obviously, it's a vo- vocally is different, but they didn't have that kind of galloping. You know, you know, I don't know the word to describe it. The tempo that they're kind of known for from the '80s and early '90s when they had him. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it, it was it was definitely a change, and, and um, not everything. I mean, it's not like everything he did was bad. You know, and the, the song uh, "Sign of the Cross." They. They've still been known to play that one from time to time, which uh, I think that was the. And I know I know it's no longer the case, but prior to the last album, um, the the Book of Souls, it was the Sign of the Cross was the second longest song that they had done, I believe, since I think it was the second longest one. Well, that's what I was, the that's what I was rhyme of, rhyme of Ancient Mariner. That's what I was going to ask you if if they played you know sammy hagar would play some david lee roth songs i was gonna ask if they would play any you know blaze bailey songs i know they've done that one i don't know about more than that but i know they've done sign of the cross um as a matter of fact i think that's on one of the dvds they released well so not only have they played it but i believe it's on one of the dvds they released with the dickinson i think it, i think it might be and i may be getting this wrong but i think it might be on the one that they released for the um geez i think it I think it was the Brave New World. I think, yeah, I think it was Brave New World. But, but the band now, you know, now that Blaze Bailey, of course, he's gone. They asked to get sent back. The, the the thing about I love about Maiden is they're one of those bands that they still. I was talking about Anthrax earlier. Most bands don't, but they still put out good records. And Book of Shat, Book of Shul, Book of Souls was pretty good, but the album before that, which was um, called The Final Frontier in my opinion, was the best album they had done since um, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. I, I thought it was incredible, and I, I put it up there as some of their better work. Is that the, so is that the guys, album with El Dorado on it? Yes, yes. And yeah, that's a good song. That's that's a really, really good album, too. And it, I don't think it got the... Uh, I don't think it got the attention that it deserved, because I would put it... Again, it, it's... Brave New World, people loved. I like it better than Brave New World because, like I said, I, I think it's the best one since Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. So that means for me, it was better than Fear of the Dark. It was better than No Fear or No Prayer for the Dying. And I also thought uh, it was better in somewhere in somewhere in time. So it's, 
I just I think that's a very very underrated album of theirs. And so yes, they still put out good music. If you like Iron Maiden, they're still getting it done. Well, staying across the pond, another band that got rid of their lead singer or he or he quit, depending on who you talk to, at, when they were very popular is um, Black Sabbath, most famously known for having Ozzy Osbourne as their lead singer, and he left for a myriad of reasons and. Ronnie James Dio took over, and I know amongst Sabbath fans, there's a portion of them that, that thinks the Dio material is the best material they put out. Um, obviously, Ozzy's drug use and behavioral issues are well documented, and that, that definitely led to uh, his leaving the band, but it seemed like once he left, they kind of, after Dio, they just had a revolving door of, of, of singers until they finally you know, got back with Ozzy every now and then and would do like a reunion tour. Yeah, and uh, the thing is, Dio was, here's the thing about Dio. Ronnie James Dio, I don't want to label him as just metal because if you listen to Rainbow, that doesn't sound that metal. It sounds just like classic rock. But, you know, you think about Rainbow, you think about his, his days with Sabbath, you think about... um just Dio, the band Dio. The guy is one of the greatest hard rock metal vocalists of all time. The guy was amazing. However, I'm going to go back to the same thing I've kept saying, you know, whether it be Maiden, whether it be Van Halen, just because you're the better vocalist doesn't mean you were the better fit. And I actually happen to like those Dio albums, especially those first two that he recorded. Um, Heaven or Hell and the Mob Rules, they're good. There's some really, really good songs on them. Uh, doesn't sound quite like the Sabbath with Ozzy, which you wouldn't expect it to, but Ozzy was just... Those Sabbath albums, I mean, that that's about as good as just classic metal gets. And... You know, again, Dio, you couldn't have done a much better job of finding a replacement. They did a great one, but they were they were replacing the irreplaceable. That's just my opinion. Yeah, you know, and, and they got back together with Dio, was it about 10 or 15 years ago and did? Yeah, and they toured on it and they called it Heaven or Hell. Instead of calling it Sabbath, they were touring and they were calling, it, they were calling the project Heaven or Hell. Yeah, and, you know, Ronnie unfortunately died several years ago from uh, stomach cancer you're right though i mean he uh, you know he almost had a a voice where i think he could have sung in the opera had he wanted to yeah i mean he is like we said he i mean this guy is in the same class as you know um freddie mercury um paul rogers he's in the same class he really is. And so they got one of the best guys possible to replace the man. Um, but those Ozzy albums, those early ones, you know, when I shouldn't even say early. I mean, they kept on other than the last two with Ozzy. They were all great, you know, because I, you know, my, my personal favorite is probably uh, Volume 4. But then Sabotage, which is a lot like ACDC, the, um, Powerage album, Sabotage doesn't have hits on it, but it's just 
an incredible record. But they just, I love all those old Sabbath albums with Ozzy. And, and like I said, truth be told, I really do like the, the Ronnie James Dio albums. I really like them. But Ozzy just kind of was a notch above. And like you said, after Dio, they experimented, experimented with other singers. I don't know if you have any, I know you probably have some stuff. I know you, some facts on there, but I, I know they had, what was it, uh, is it Ray Gillen from yeah. uh, Deep Purple? Well, yeah, they they had they had Gillen, they had Glenn Hughes, who was also in Deep Purple, uh, and Tony Martin. Uh, I don't think Tony Martin he may have only recorded on one album. I'm not sure he even recorded, to be okay. honest. He might have, but but yeah, the um, I mean, they're, they're, with, with Sabbath, they're they're kind of like you know you, you look at you, Anthrax. Everybody knows they have two singers. But yet, there's been a couple other guys. Kind of the same way with Sabbath. You know, they they had they had Gillen. They, you know, they've had you know, like you said, they had Glenn Hughes. But really, they had Ozzy and they had Dio. And uh, it's another one of those bands that, even though Dio is not remembered the same way as Ozzy, and even though I don't like the records as much he was a replacement that did work. And he went on to have a very successful career post Sabbath. Probably maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe yeah, even more successful. I would say more. I would say definitely more because that, that album, Holy Diver. Yeah. You know, I mean, he had, Dio had a nice little run there. So I think he did better, but he, I mean, that was, he was established before and he kept going after but when you got pipes like that, that's that's what's going to happen. Well, that kind of wraps up the major bands that that we had um, listed to discuss. Um, I'm looking at this uh, kind of interesting. Um, three of the three of the six three of the seven were all from England. <laughs> so they oh uh, wow, and we have a few bands here. We're kind of going to mention uh, that it still had some success. One of them is another British band bad company and you know you listen to people that 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 know what they're talking about and paul rogers is consistently considered one of the top five best voices in, in all of rock music and you know bad company there for a while i mean they couldn't miss with their albums they had four or five in a row i think it's actually six of them that you know just really good solid blues based hard rock music and he left, and he was in a band. It was with Jimmy Page, wasn't it? Called the Firm. Didn't he go to that? I don't know. And honestly, don't know. Well, anyway, they got Steve Howe um, to be a replacement singer who had, I think, had been singing for Ted Nugent. But uh, people may not remember this, but they actually had a, several hit songs in the late '80s, early '90s. Had an album called Holy Water that sold over a million, and uh, had the hit. It was a slow song. Uh, if you needed somebody. But of course, they got back with Paul Rogers. I don't think they've put out a new album with Paul Rogers, but he's been touring with them uh, for a while. I know, Chris. I've heard you mention Paul Rogers a couple of times. You you agree with me? Top five voice. Yeah, well, that's what I said. I mean, Paul Rogers, Freddie Mercury, Ronnie James Dio. When you're talking about rock, you're talking about metal, and I need to stop using the word metal. Just talking about rock. Period. I mean, those guys, they're up there. I mean, they're. Pro I think all of those that I just named are probably top five. I don't, I don't know how you can really dispute that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the same thing I've said on just about every one of these podcasts. 
they may not be for you. But how you can take away from saying, for example, Ronnie James Dio or Paul Rogers, that they're not one of the most gifted vocalists. I, I don't know how you can make that argument. Right. Paul Rogers can sing anything. And yeah. And, you know, he, he was very identifiable with um, Bad Company. I know, Chris, there's there's a band that you're a real big fan of. I'll be honest with you. I'm not that familiar with them, but you had some information you wanted to talk about. That's Faith No More. Yeah, and I love this band. Um, Faith No More is going to, they're going to again fall into that category of a lot of people did not know they ever had any singer other than, am I going I shouldn't even have to say names. It would just probably be, oh, I didn't know they had any singer other than the guy that sang on Epic. But that guy is Mike Patton. And Mike Patton, as far as modern day, is one of the best vocalists to me out there, period. The guy, I think, is just amazing. But he was not the original. Faith No More had, uh, they, toyed, they, they toyed around with a few different singers, one of which... I mean, this will shock a lot of people, but one of which was Courtney Love. Yes, that Courtney Love. Um, that didn't record with her. They weren't on a label or anything, but she did sing with them. But then they got a guy named Chuck Mosley. This was uh, 1983. And they recorded an EP, We Care A Lot, in 85. And then Introduce Yourself came out in 87, which was on Slash Records, you know, a uh, major label. And... Uh, the Introduce Yourself album is really good. It's not, I mean, this is going to be one of those ones where I actually like the replacement singer better. Chuck Mosley was good, but Faith No More, I mean, going with Mike Patton, that's going from like a four to a 10 vocally. And it's just the music got much more creative, um, much more diverse. It was much better with Patton, but. Supposedly, Mosley's behavior was just becoming more and more erratic. Um, he fell asleep he on st- he fell asleep on stage during a show. Yeah, well, well, first of all, he punched he punched Billy Gold or Gold he punched Billy Gold on stage. Their album, and when you're talking about where he fell asleep on stage, that was the album release party for Introduce Yourself, their major label debut, and he fell asleep on stage. And then Mosley's roadie got in a fight with Jim Martin, who was the guitarist of Faith No More. And so, yeah, Mosley, obviously, he was a train wreck. And so they, it wasn't in the cards for him. No, so they ended up, you know, after they got back from a tour and introduced yourself in Europe, they ended up firing him, and they got, they got Mike Patton, who was an unknown, but uh, Jim Martin, the guitarist, had heard his demo of his high school band, Mr. Bungle, who actually ended up recording several records um, after Faith No More hit success. But uh, Mr. Bungle's kind of a legendary underground band at this point. But um, they ended up getting Mike Patton and uh, off of Martin's recommendation. And rest is history. You know, they came out with the real thing, and and then they were just hit album after album. And they've been they've been known before as this band that one of I would say those guys hate each other more than about any band ever. They're known for that. They just do not get along. And so obviously they couldn't keep that going and they broke up. And after years and years, they reunited a couple of years ago and they put out a new album, which I thought was just, you never know what you're going to get with a comeback album. I thought it was really, really good. And I was actually fortunate enough to see them 
in Atlanta, and the guys just sound unbelievable still to this day. But I love that band. One other I did want to mention before I let you kind of wrap us up and mention the others. This is one that I don't I don't think we probably have a lot of diehard Misfits fans listening to this. And if we do, you know, my apologies because you probably want to kill me after this. But I actually liked the albums when they got when they after years of being apart, they got back together and they replaced you know Glenn Danzig and had all the successes solo Danzig. And they brought in this unknown guy, Michael Graves, and he recorded two albums, American Psycho and Famous Monsters. And I'm not saying he's Glenn Danzig, but those albums are really, really good. A little bit more metal than that early Misfit stuff, but really, really good Misfits albums. And nobody wants to give it the credit it deserves. I like him. I think he, he, he may not have really caught on. So maybe you say it was kind of a failed effort, but I actually really like those records. I feel like that's a tough fan base to try to run over. Probably. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Well, I was going to just go rapid fire on a, on three or four here, and then we're going to wrap it up. We're, we've gone pretty long on this one. Um, I mentioned Bad Company. Another one, Journey. Uh, a lot of people don't realize uh, Steve Perry's the second singer. Greg Rowley was the original lead singer. Obviously, they went on to sell like 90 million albums, and for a time, probably 82, 85, and you'd be hard-pressed. They were one of the biggest bands in the world, and uh, they now have a uh, guy that they discovered on YouTube by the name of Arne Pineda. Uh, He's a Filipino guy, and they're actually getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think, as we're... No, it's tomorrow night. So uh, we're recording on Friday night. They'll go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame tomorrow night. Another one that just went on to record one of the biggest albums of all time is Fleetwood Mac. They originally were a blues band, kind of in the mold of uh, John Mayall's Blues Breakers. And Peter Green was in, was the head of that and was the singer, and he had some substance abuse and I think mental illness issues. And, of course, they go on to get Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and then go on to record one of the biggest albums of all time in Rumors. And the last one is another British band I have here is Deep Purple, Obviously, uh, in I think it's like 73, 74, they, Gillen parts ways with them and they uh, snap up this little known lead singer by the name of David Coverdale, who obviously would go on to rule MTV for a couple of years with uh, his band White Snake. And Coverdale, I guess the biggest song they put out with him is Burn, which was a, which was a big hit for Deep Purple at the time. Uh, I do have a couple here that... Uh, I think didn't turn out well. Um, Skid Row with Johnny Solinger. Um, Sebastian Box, one of the all-time great voices in rock. And anyway, there was just no replacing him. And then, Yeah, I will say in his defense, and, and I agree with you, he, he, I mean, Sebastian Box is one of the greatest of that era for sure. But you had two things against you. You're replacing one of the greatest, and you're replacing one of the greatest in one of the genres that has died. Right. Now, but, they did put out, I think, three or four albums, but it just, he couldn't. It, he was in there, I think, longer than Sebastian. Oh, yeah, a lot longer. You know, Sebastian was actually their second lead singer. I don't know the first lead singer's name, but I know Snake uh, Sabo was on uh, Eddie Trunk's podcast, and Trunk was saying he has a, they recorded an album with another lead singer. Basically, Bach just walked in and recorded the first album. The, it was already written, and they already had vocals from somebody else. 
Oh, wow. So, yeah, he just walked in. Well, Chris, um, I think we've had a good discussion today. This has been a, a, a fun one to do. It was definitely fun to research, and it was not nearly as hard as last week's episode, uh, at least for me. Um, oh, that was brutal. It was. That was a tough one, tough one to do. Do you have any, any parting thoughts as far as you know what we've talked about today? No, I think for the most part we've listed some pretty legendary bands that most people are familiar with. Maybe we educated some people on some stuff. Maybe we didn't. Um, if you like any of these bands, revisit their catalogs. I'm going to go back to what how we started off the show, too. You know, don't be afraid to check out the new Mastodon, the new Greg Graffin, or the um, Astronoid. I mean, we're going to try to keep bringing you new selections. I'm going to Hopefully I can do that every week. I may, how do you, we may slip short, you know, every now and then we may not have something, but I'll, we'll try to keep bringing new music to you. Yeah. And, and we, I'm, I'm really loving the fact that people are listening, you know, to our recommendations and going out and, you know, and discovering things for themselves. And before we wrap it up, I do want to say, uh, please go on iTunes and review us and rate us. That's re- I just can't ex- express how important that is. It's really going to help us with some things that we have planned for the future. But first, we have to we have to have those things fall in place. And please go to Twitter and follow us at Digital Killed. We're on Instagram at Digital Killed the Radio Star. Obviously, we have the Facebook page. But the easiest thing is just go to iTunes and subscribe and, and leave us a nice five-star review if you could. Because, like I said, we do have some things that we want to do in the future. But... Um, our exposure has to be greater than what it is now in order for us to pull that off. So I do appreciate everybody listening and we will see you again next week.